and welcome to the In Publishing podcast, bringing you weekly insights into the newspaper and magazine publishing sector. I'm Keir Byrne, and this week my guest is John Barnes, Chief Digital Officer at William Reed Business Media. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire-based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high-speed web offset and sheet-fed printing, together with in-house saddle stitching, perfect binding and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low-cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. John Barnes joined leading B2B publisher William Reed in June as Chief Digital Officer, helping to evolve the digital strategy for brands including The Grocer, World's 50 Best Restaurants and British Baker. He has extensive experience in the B2B publishing sector, including a decade spent in senior roles at Incisive Media and setting up Sloop Media, a specialist consultancy for digital media companies. John, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. So can we begin by talking through your career to date? Um, I believe that you began in publishing as an editor before going on to become a publisher. Um, And then, as I said in the preamble, you worked at Incisive Media and and most recently um, set up your own consultancy before joining William Reid. How's that brought you to where you are today? Well, it's... I, I was a journalist originally, um, which I still have a great passion for. So, you know, I follow developments in journalism um, very avidly. And being a journalist, particularly specialising in computers, which is what I was doing then, got me to um, start working on the internet in the very early days. So from about 1991 onwards, I was involved in the internet. And I would say that's the primary reason I am where I am today. Um, I spent uh, some time at VNU. Um, very happy years, where I was uh, an editor of many magazines. Um, I took the opportunity to set up the digital business there, um, and that led to a publishing job, which then led to um, a director's job, which then led to the managing director of that company. Um, and we were acquired by um, Incisive Media in 2007, and um, I was able to help them uh, with my experience of the internet to, to, to date to, to really expand their internet offering and, and during that time during nearly 10 years uh, we won the um, the AOP digital publisher of the year award um, four times which was fantastic for us um, we really um, as, as collectively as a team transformed the digital offering um, and a part of the business that I was uh, running was sold to a French company Infopro um, in 2016 for uh, you know a really healthy uh, amount of money um, and I spent another couple of years there with them as Chief Digital Officer, and that finished last April. And then I started working on Sloop Media, which is, uh, as you say, a digital consultancy. Had a number of different clients, um, predominantly B2B, that's what I specialised in, and also specialising in, in things like um, paid circulation, lead generation, so what I would call sustainable business models. And um, one of my clients was William Reed, and I uh, helped them with a couple of projects. And um, when the corona crisis came along, I, I had been doing some consultancy work there. And rather out of the blue, um, I was asked if, if I'd like to join the team and, and help them uh, sort of speed up their digital transformation. And I thought that would be a tremendous opportunity. So 
I decided to do that. And that's basically where I am now. Right. So in a way, um, COVID-19 brought up this new opportunity for you. I, th- I think what, what COVID-19 has done is it's sort of accelerated everybody's thinking about how digital fits into the publishing landscape. And I think a lot of people who maybe thought, uh, you know, certain things couldn't happen on certain brands and, you know, certain models wouldn't work for their kind of company. Um, I think they've had to rethink that as the workforce has sort of moved on to um, teams and uh, uh, various tools like that. And people realise that you can actually produce national newspapers from a load of people's bedrooms. And they've realised that you can actually run events from people that are working in six or seven different locations on, on video. And every single night we see uh, a new kind of series of interviews or a new format for question time or a different way of doing the archers as a result of what's going on. And I think it's it's a really interesting time for media. And I think, um, yeah, William Reed's recognised that. They certainly adapted amazingly in the time. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud to be part of, of helping the management team there accelerate that. So this opportunity, as you say, came somewhat out of the blue. What is the brief for your role? Do you have a brief and, and what are you hoping to achieve? So as, as the Chief Digital Officer, what I'm really trying to do is to um, pull together certain strands in the business to get them focused on a longer term strategy that the executive chief team and, and the CEO are devising um, with me. And the, the main objective is to, is to ensure that, um, you know, the stable of brands, very old, very successful brands, um, are able to sort of take advantage of, of the changes in such a way that um, they can adapt their business models, but without throwing away what has made those brands very successful. So, you know, journalism, the fact that print has a, a part to play for some of those brands, face-to-face events when they come back will still be very important. But how can um, we sort of use this time and, and the sense of change that's taking place in society as much as the media industry to basically cement some long-term um, changes that will, will make the business bigger, better and stronger. And I, I was going to ask what makes a good Chief Digital Officer, but you have been working with the internet since its very early days. And um, so I wondered what, what sort of skill sets and experience you've built up over the years as a result of that. Well, I, I think one of the yeah, I think that there's skills you need to be a chief digital officer, but I think there are skills you need to be successful in digital. And I think one of them is just being very inquisitive and um, being prepared to try things out. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I think, you know, everybody's worked with uh, a colleague or a manager or, or in a team where some people are very scared about trying things out. And, um, you know, the secret to successful internet publishing is change. And if you don't like change, it's not a very good job <laughs> for you. Um, and if you do like change, it's important to make sure that you can sort of understand where the market is going, what the implications might be to your particular brand or business, and how you can um, look at those implications and turn them into opportunities that you can then basically try and uh, build products or ideas around. And as you say, over the last two decades the publishing industry has been on this digital transformation journey Um, I'm really interested to hear you say um, and you're not alone that um, the coronavirus crisis has accelerated that journey that digital journey 
How do you see the current state of play in the B2B sector? Um, You know, so I was working with quite a few different clients last year and um, it was obviously pre-COVID. So we had no idea what was coming around the corner. But what was starting to happen, um, and I think it's been it's been a long term sort of trend, but it really sped up during um, 2019, was that the need to really know who your readers are, who your visitors are on your website has become a sort of an absolute imperative for pretty much any publisher, whether you're in B2B or B2C. But particularly right. in B2B, it is really essential because, you know, when when the internet came along and the free CPM ad model kind of uh, evolved, most B2B publishers uh, would have had quite successful controlled circulations or they would have had um, paid subscription models. But for whatever reason, the everybody, you know, VNU included, Incisive included, um, William Reed to an extent, most people I know, um, decided that open access was good and volume of, of impressions was the thing to go after. There might be different models in monetizing that, you know, like tenancy. Um, but in essence, we lost sight of trying to collect deep and narrow databases about who the readers were. And I think that has been the sort of overarching trend of, of 2019. And I think as we've gone into this crisis, it's become ever more important and um, I just see lots and lots of people now experimenting with meters, with registration walls, with different ways of actually enticing people to, to pass over details, partly because of uh, GDPR and partly because advertisers haven't got the luxury because of um, changes in privacy to basically you know, target users on multiple sites. They na- they've had to go back to the concept of context and trying to sort of buy positions within sites to target known groups of readers so that knowledge of who your readers are online has become absolutely the, the key thing for everybody to pursue and and what do you see as the best way to go about that you've mentioned metrics you've mentioned registration walls um how can you extract that deeper information um i think that one of the key things to do is that you know you you want to sort of appeal to somebody when they're engaged and interested in in the site so for example you know we've seen a, a sort of an, an enormous explosion of, of COVID-19 newsletters so very topical very relevant everybody wants to know what's going on the implications in different industries um, you know are, are quite far-reaching and different you know so the implications in the food industry will be different to the implications in the event industry or the the car industry and so um, publications that service um, vertical markets are very well placed to talk in detailed terms about those kind of implications. That's one thing. The other thing is to um, sort of be much more gentle about asking questions rather than presenting somebody with a, you know, 10, 15 page form, um, you know, collect an email address after they've been um, doing some things on your website, ask them some more questions to see if by telling you what they do or, um, what they're interested in, you can target information to them more easily so that every time they're passing over information, it's a form of transaction that's going to create a benefit to the user rather than it, rather than it being an inconvenience about passing over information. And then ultimately, you know, starting to make suggestions about content, um, trying to um, explain that, uh, you know, if you give more information, you might have access to more types of content or better personalization or better targeting and so on. So that you work with the reader and respect the reader's uh, privacy by um, presenting with things that are going to find useful and interesting. And in return, they pass over information that makes um, that information more targeted to them. 
I, I was going to ask about strengths and weaknesses in the B2B publishing sector. And uh, in some ways, with what you've just said, you, you've touched on that. Um, how does William Reed compare in that landscape? You, you've come in to, um, to help them negotiate that. How, how does it sit at the moment? I think William Reed is an incredibly um, good business. I mean, it's got very, very good brands. Um, I always respect companies that focus on on content and, and the quality of journalism, which William Reed very much does. Um, and they have a, a, an incredibly talented, quite young workforce. And I think they, they compare very well to um, other B2B publishers. Obviously, the food and drink uh, market is is a different market, and certainly through the uh, the coronavirus, you know, the hospitality sector, pubs, restaurants have, have been very, very badly impacted. And I think um, what William Reed has done, which is why I think it's an interesting B two B company, is it's it's sort of adapted its coverage to help those people, partly through you know information about what's going on, but also um, interesting use of things like video to to sort of explain. Um, how you might reopen a socially distanced restaurant um, or, you know, how you might adapt your business to start doing deliveries and things like that. So rather than sort of being an outsider on the market, William Reed is very much inside the market and it's part of the market and it connects buyers and sellers. And I think that is um, one of the most important things about a successful B2B company. You've got to be within the market, understand the market, and the market needs to feel that you're a part of the market and a trusted, a, a trusted ally in terms of um, what you're doing. You're keeping them informed, educated, but you're also challenging them with, with content and providing them with opportunities to learn. And as you say, um, William Reed's audience has really come into the spotlight during this pandemic. You have the restaurants and caterers who have suffered um, immensely from lockdown, but you also have the grocery businesses um, that have seen this as an extremely busy time. How has it catered to to that sector? Um, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people in, in, in the wider media have been talking about uh, the retailing, um, food retailing market as almost being another sort of frontline service uh, during the, the pandemic. And so, um, you know, there's been a lot of um, support, you know, things like uh, webcasts, um, increasing podcasts, you know, basically um, sharing experiences between different kinds of uh, companies and different kinds of people. Um, as I said, you know, the sort of explosion of different kinds of newsletters that are going to help people push information to them. But we've also just seen an enormous um, amount of uh, traffic coming to all of the websites, I think, as many B2B and B2C publishers have. Because um, if you are a, a trusted brand in a, in a marketplace, um, in, in times of crisis, you are going to turn to the sources you trust. You know, it's a sort of BBC effect. And I think um, uh, th- magazines like The Grocer... Uh, um, morning advertiser, restaurant magazine, all of those kind of publications have, have really come into their own. And those um, those markets trust them and want to know uh, what, uh, you know, those journalists think about what's going on and, and, and what they can learn from it. So it's become, I would say, maybe a bit more collegiate. People are sharing a bit more. Uh, they're swapping ideas a bit more. And right at the middle of that are the William Reed brands. And what sort of upturn have you seen in traffic? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to sort, sort of talk about numbers, but we've seen really significant, significant increase in traffic. And um, 
you know, if we look at uh, this time last year, you know, we're, we're uh, substantially up in, in terms of traffic. And what, what that's helping us do is convert that into more known users, which is what I was talking about earlier on. Yeah. OK. Um, and how do you see that digital offering, which is proving so popular at the moment, evolving? Uh, I mean, a good example would be if you take um, sort of, say, webinars as, as a good example. You know, traditionally, a webinar would be a sort of one hour recorded or live event that uh, would be about a particular subject, you know, maybe once a month or something like that. What we've seen um, through this uh, sort of pandemic is because some of the face-to-face events haven't been able to take place, the formats for different kinds of um, uh, webinars have come into play. So we've launched things like a webinar series. So it's almost like a deconstructed conference program where you might have multiple streams over a couple of days. These are multiple streams of of one-hour webinars over a couple of weeks. So you subscribe to the to the series and then you attend the, the various parts of the series you'd like to um, interact with as, as, as you would do if you were going to um, a conference and you'd attend different conference streams. That's one thing. Um, the mixture of pre-recorded and live within um, those kind of webinar programs has become more and more important. Um, we've also started to do um, things called broadcast series. So as I mentioned, you know, how do you open socially distanced restaurant you know how do you actually set up tables how do you cater with some of the health issues how do you actually bill people uh, you know how do you get them to collect the money um, if you've got an open kitchen how does that kind of work um, so lots and lots of um, innovation in and around video uh, we've also seen an increase in podcasting um, we've invested in a new podcasting platform as a result and Obviously, we're on a podcast today, so you know exactly yep. how that works <laughs> yeah. and you, how, how popular they've become. And then also the, the need to sort of um, download what would have been historically paper assets. So, of course, some publications have suspended um, printing across the, the B2B industry. Um, you're still able to sort of lay out documents that can be downloadable as PDFs, so guides and various things like that. And obviously, that's another way in which you can have a, a data exchange, you know, you can download a valuable document in return for just telling us who you are. And so those kind of innovations have become really, really important um, over the last few months. So it's really multiple innovations going on simultaneously. Yes. And I think, you know, the, probably one of the things that's holding it back is just the amount, the amount of time in the day, because, you know, there are so many things that could be done. But I think, you know, what I've been impressed with across the board, but also particularly at William Reed, is the ability of, of people just to, to pick up these ideas and experiment with them and quite effectively, you know, to not just provide a, an information service, but also to provide um, revenue and to build revenue back that would have historically been face-to-face. So, you know, it's it's quite an impressive thing, really. And I think we're going to look back on, the last few months, you know, in a couple of years' time, as, as really being um, a, a kind of an, an age that changed B two B and publishing, digital publishing, actually for the better. A lot more innovation um, and putting content firmly on centre stage, which is you know what really good media, digital media, is all about. It's about good content and trusted brands. Well, coming on to paid content um you've talked about the importance of gathering deeper information about your audience but um in the past you have spoken and written 
quite a lot about paid content models. And these are becoming increasingly important for publishers. What do you see as the key pillars of a successful paid content strategy? And, And what are the most frequent mistakes publishers make when they're trying to set up a paid content model? I think that the most important thing is, you know, what, what is the essential um, pull of your publication? What is it you do that is valuable to the audience? For some brands, it might be the concept of community. So the ability to swap and share ideas, you know, with like-minded people. For others, it might just be, you know, very much about changes and trends and developments that are going on in the industry. Others, it might be data, getting data or information about what's going on. But there will always be something that is, you know, the core, the essence of what your, your brand basically is about. And that's the thing you need to lead with on a, so a paid a subscription strategy to make sure that that content is positioned in the right way, to see that it is valuable, it's easily accessible. You can try it before you buy it. So the, the concept of um, metering is part of that idea, but also the concept of an executive summary of an article that if you want to read uh, you have to uh, log in, subscribe, or, or take a trial. Maybe, maybe um, uh, pay-per-view kind of content as well is, is, is in that space. And then the other key thing about it is that for B2B companies in particular, to recognise that a, a digital subscription isn't like a print subscription. <clears throat> so a print subscription has an advantage over digital in the sense that you have um, something that's physical that arrives with a certain frequency and reminds um, the reader that you are there. So the magazine lands on the desk and, you know, it's arrived. You'll pick it up and you'll read it. Digital doesn't have that luxury. So you have to be in position to make sure your content's readily accessible. That's obviously through optimising it for search engines, but it's also pushing it out on content marketing platforms. And it's also about having a good um, free-to-sign-up newsletter strategy so that the newsletter performs the function as of the, the physical magazine. It reminds users that you're there. And then I think the final thing is that, um, you know, you've got to recognise that different parts of the market, particularly if you're working in B2B and you're looking at enterprise subscriptions, different parts of the market are going to place different values on the content. So if you can um, adapt your pricing structure to reflect that, it's what um, I would call sort of criticality of the content. So how critical is the content to different sectors and subsectors? And can you reflect um, that criticality in the price? Because if the content is highly critical, then lots of different functions within the business are going to access the site because lots of different people in the business are going to find the content useful. That is a more more critical subscription for a company than uh, a business that might only access 10 or 15% of the content. So can you reflect that in how you price that and how you price access to that? And I think finally, right. enterprise subscriptions are really the, the big um, sort of talking point for most publishers. They've been successful um, historically with one-to-one subscriptions, but moving into enterprise subscriptions really places a challenge, a different kind of challenge on people. And that's why it's important to really get a sense of who the companies are that are coming to your site. So you can start to target them with the, those kind of offers I was just describing. Right, right. And another area that we've seen suffer um, greatly during uh, COVID-19 is advertising. Um, When it comes to digital advertising, it's still important to publishers. Um, What are successful publishers doing at the moment to optimise their digital advertising revenues? 
Well, as I said, you know, we, a lot of move into to video has created options for pre-roll uh, video advertising that probably didn't exist at quite a lot of B2B companies um, several months ago because the volume just wasn't there. That's one thing. I think the other thing is um, recognising that engagement with advertising is much more important than impressions. So, you know, lots of people are talking about some um, viewability and the view rate, but, you know, how many people are starting to report back on time, so cost per hour kind of metrics, that's a really important thing for, for advertisers. Um, and then also, finally, you know, trying to give some sense of who's actually seen the adverts. Um, so rather than just saying it had this many impressions that for this amount of time, you know, who were they? Were they logged in users? Were they just um, users that were passing? Um, were they particular kinds of companies? And, you know, increasingly um, in B2B in particular, there, there's this concept of moving into account-based marketing. So working with um, clients and agencies to target um, particular companies that a, a, an advertiser wants to target so that you um, use advertising to sort of remind those customers when they visit your site that uh, that advertiser is actually there. So, you know, it could be targeting a, a particular um, IT company or it could be targeting a bank, maybe targeting a particular kind of supermarket. So that, that becomes an important sort of aspect of it. And I think account-based marketing programs, advertising programs are going to be increasingly more important as we come out of this pandemic, because I think advertising spend is, is going to be more, 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 even more closely scrutinised. Well, I was, I was going to come on to say, um, we've all spent the last few months working from home, glued to our screens, um, happy to watch webinars for want of uh, much else to do. As we move out of um, lockdown, what would your advice be to publishers who want to hold on to some of those innovations which have actually worked during the pandemic? Um, you know, I think everybody wants to return to normal. Um, you know, I've got some teenage kids. They're desperate to return to normal. Um, I can't wait to go to a nice restaurant and have a nice meal again. Um, but I think some things will have changed. And I think, you know, media as I said earlier, will have changed. I don't think what will have changed, though, is the need to actually meet people face-to-face. -face. So I think the, the online event, uh, the face-to-face -face event industry will come back quite strongly. But I think it will be linked much more closely to digital. So whether that's downloading assets instead of scanning badges on, on stands, or whether it's actually having a mixture of um, interactive video and live um, speaking and, and presentations at particular events. Um, and also the concept of extending events beyond the two days. So rather than, you know, just having a one or two day event, you could have a program more like a festival kind of program over a period of weeks where it's a mixture of live and, and uh, recorded um, digital events with, with um, live face-to-face -face activities and um, sort of the opportunity to meet, meet people and uh, discuss things in, in person. I think from a, an advertising point of view, Account-based marketing is, is something that I think a lot of people want to hang on to. I think podcasts and um, uh, webinar video series are going to just uh, continue to explode. I think a lot of people have, have realised that whilst there are some technical challenges, um, good journalism is, is quite well suited to podcasting and can be adapted very well to, to video if you've got the right kind of um, people and the right kind of approach and the right kind of format, thinking about formats. And then I think finally, lead generation is, is going to be vitally, vitally important to everybody. I think, you know, um, it, it's linked to knowing who your users are and it's linked to account-based marketing. 
it's linked to events in a way, but actually being able to distribute information uh, to an audience um, on behalf of a third party and being able to explain to that third party who the audience is, what they've done, and um, what they might have found useful about that is going to be an important part of uh, the media offering. And then, of course, paid subscriptions, and particularly enterprise subscriptions. So I think what most people are going to hang on to is the innovation, and I think they're going to continue to innovate as print and face-to-face events come back and keep the best bits and of both, because I think we've, we've discovered some good bits of digital we didn't know were there. In terms of emerging technologies and platforms, is there anything that's caught your eye recently? Um, well, everybody's talking about TikTok. I've seen endless TikTok <laughs> uh, videos and things. You know, I've quite enjoyed some of them. Um, how that quite adapts to to B two B or media in in general needs to be needs to be sort of seen. But you know, we know from many of these uh, tools, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, that once you've got the volume of users, um, the opportunity to develop commercial opportunities come along. And, um, you know, we wouldn't have thought some years ago that, uh, you know, B2B sites would have successful Instagram followings, but, you know, it's, it's happened. So I think some of these emerging platforms like TikTok are going to become more important as, as they figure out what their commercial offer is. And as um, publishers and media organisations, ad agencies and things start to see the advantage of, targeting that audience in a particular way i mean what i always say to people um, particularly in and around social kind of tools is that sometimes they're placed mistakenly as sort of consumer tools but you've got to remember that if you've got a massive audience on uh, on a on a site like instagram or facebook uh, within that audience are going to be subsets of your market because whilst they are um, consumers they're also uh, people that work in certain kinds of businesses so the concentration of B2B verticals are usually quite high if you look for them in, in the right kind of way and they can be a successful part of your media offering. So I think yeah, TikTok probably will become important quite how yet, I don't know. And are there any thought leaders in the digital space that you would recommend other publishers to look out for? Um, I follow so many different kinds of uh, publications and, and people. I mean, if, if it was about journalism and, and how journalism is adapting and changing, I, I would always recommend reading Emily Bell, um, who is obviously yeah. now a professor of journalism, but was... Yes, uh, so I, used to, I used to work for Emily Bell many years ago, so I well, would you know, you know, so that, you know yes. that's a good yeah. tip. <laughs> um, I, you know, I like some of the people at Digiday. I think they've got some very, very good people there. Um, you know, they're always quite interesting to to sort of follow they're very usually very interesting to talk to and they've, they've got lots of kind of good ideas um i've told you about my love of journalism so nyman journalism lab is, is somewhere i go to very very often um to get ideas and um i think um you know if you look at, at sort of linkedin thought leaders um somebody called anthony james who i follow who's just very interested in how technology is being used in lots of different ways um and usually it comes back to digital in some kind of way so they're the kind of people I would follow. And also many of the people I've worked with, you know, um, I've worked with some really talented people and I, I take a keen interest through LinkedIn in, in following um, ex-colleagues or current colleagues to see what they're doing. And very often some of the best ideas come from people you know that are just doing interesting things. 
And finally, as someone who works in the digital space, what do you do to relax? Do you have a favourite app or website or do you turn screens off altogether? Well, our house is, um, we've got two teenagers and so you can imagine it's quite device heavy. <laughs> and we've, we've had a few challenges throughout the uh, the coronavirus lockdown with multiple um, videos going on and Playstations being played. So, yeah. you know, we keep screens on quite a lot. You know, we quite enjoy screens. Probably my greatest pleasure is um, Audible and um, listening to books. Um, I like reading books as well. So um, I'm a big Kindle user, which unfortunately is a screen. Yep. <laughs> but at least it's not an illuminated screen, so you could, it doesn't hurt your eyes so much. And then um, the really big passion of my life is cooking. So uh, I do lots and lots of cooking, Great. which has been very useful in the pandemic, I have to say. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Well, John, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714-299-105 or by email at matthew.carry at acornweb.co.uk Thank you to John for being our guest this week. John's Twitter handle is at John M. N. Barnes. John has written a number of articles for In Publishing over the years and these can be found at inpublishing.co.uk just search for John Barnes. Our guest next week is Sam Kinchin-Smith, Head of Special Projects at the London Review of Books. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then email editorial at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and please join me next week on the In Publishing Podcast. <laughs>